five weeks now, our overarching theme for this whole uh, Small Things Big Difference series has been, it is the small things that no one sees that result in the big things that everyone wants. And if you think all the way back to week one, I talked to you about your thoughts because we said you think something, then you do something, you say something, then you do something, you become something. So we've been trying to work on small things like thoughts, words, actions, and habits. Last week we started on habits and we said that you become what you repeatedly do. So if we're going to change our lives, then we need to change our habits and that requires discipline. So on the top of your listening guide, here's the first thing. This is from last week, but we're carrying this on. Discipline is choosing what I want most over what I want now. And we're saying that if you want, if you want to become the person God wants you to be, if you want to make a difference in this world, you have to choose what you want most, which is in the future over what you want now. And you have to pattern your life to get there. And it takes habits. It takes discipline. Today, I want to show you what God wants most. And then I'm going to talk to you about how you can achieve and and become the person that God wants you to be. If you have uh, your if you have your your smartphone, you can follow us on version. If not, follow on your listening guide and look what God wants most. This is Revelation three twenty. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with you, and you will eat with me. So I want you to uh, look at your listening guide there, and I want you to circle those words. Here I am. Jesus says, "I know you're busy. I know you're religious." But here I am, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the, ge- and the end, the source of all power and blessing and life, and here I am. And what am I doing? And this picture is kind of crazy. You may have to turn on that, that one light over here, Ernie. Here's the picture. Jesus is knocking on the door of his church. And a lot of people don't understand this. Why would God knock on the door of his own church? And it's because we have become people of ritual. We have become people of religion. And, and God says, I want more than that. God says, there's one thing I cannot do. I'm, I'm all powerful. I can make you obey me. I can make you fear me. But there's one thing I can't do. I can't make you love me. And so the picture is Jesus over here knocking on the door. And he's waiting on you to open up the door. Because he's a gentleman, he's not going to force himself in. And see, what we've done, what Christians have done, and actually all of the belief systems. And see, this is different than any other belief system. The God of Christianity. In any other belief system, it is you do a set of rules and regulations and rituals to try to earn God's favor, to try to get God's attention. But in Christianity... He says, I want a relationship with you. I don't want religion. Jesus is saying, I want the type of relationship with you that only you can allow me to have because I can't force you to love me. What Christians and other belief systems have done is instead of intimacy with God, instead of closeness with God, instead of realness with God, we've settled for religion. And, And people, you know, we've said this since the beginning of this church. People say, we don't like organized religion. We say, come to new life. We're disorganized religion. We we don't like organized religion either. It's more about relationship. And relationship is different because religion reduces everything to a formula. If I do this set of do's and I don't do this set of don'ts, if I do this, you're a good Christ follower. But if you do this, you're bad and you're bound for hell. Well, that's not what we want to do because that's not the relationship that Jesus Christ came to establish with us. 
And so it becomes this formula. I do all these things. I do all these things. I do all these things. I try to get God's attention. And the problem, here's, here's one of the big problems with religion. It turns religious people into very self-centered people. Religious people are some of the most self-centered people I know, and I'm going to tell you why. It's not about God. It's about how do I get God's attention? How do I, how do I put the right words together and do the right thing so that God has to do for me what I want to, him to do right now? Not about heaven, not about hell. It's about me. Now, if you're a parent and you have children, doesn't it disgust you when your children are so self-centered that they don't care about anybody else? Doesn't it disgust you? You can say, yeah, it's okay. I don't know why that's cutting on and off. It disgusts your heavenly father as well. When we proclaim to follow him, but all we are cared about is, all we care about is ourselves. Religious formula, it turns you into a judgmental person because you know, you've learned, you've learned the things that God likes and you know the things that God doesn't like. And when you see people doing things that God doesn't like, you decide you don't like those people. Because they're ungodly. And if truth be told, many Christians, or religious, I should say this, many religious folks actually secretly wish they could do some of the things that ungodly people are doing, and it frustrates them, so they hate ungodly people. That's where religion goes. And I want you to see what Jesus has to say about religious people in John chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Jesus talking to his disciples, and he's just told them. In, in chapter 15, it's I am the vine, you are the branches, that type of thing. And then at the end of chapter 15, he says, if people love me and obey me, they will love you and obey you. If people hate me, they're going to hate you. And then he says this in John 16, verse 1. I have told you these things to keep you from giving up. Anybody ever felt like giving up in the Christian life? Need to come back to the word of God and listen to what God has to say. People will put you out of their synagogues. That's the churches at that time. Yes, the time is coming when those, those people, those who kill you will think they are offering a service to God. What people is he talking about? Religious people. Religious people are going to say, you can't come to this church because you don't act like us, you don't dress like us, you don't sound like us, you don't do the things we do. We're better than you, so you can't come here. And then religious people are going to kill folks. Really? That's where, religious, where religion goes, is, is it causes people to kill other people. Well, who killed Jesus? Whose idea was it to crucify Jesus? Religious people. They thought they were doing God a favor, right? They were protecting the house of God. They went and, and, and investigated what he was saying, and because what he was saying didn't line up what they thought he should say, they killed him. You remember Saul, who... Who, he, was a, he was named Saul before he became a Christian. Later, he was, they changed his, God changed his name to Paul, and he wrote half the New Testament. But before he became a Christ follower, he was the most religious person. And he had learned from the best religious teacher in the kingdom of Israel. And he actually held the coats because Paul, you know, he was so religious, he couldn't get his hands dirty with the rocks and the stones. But, but when they were going to stone Stephen, one of the very first deacons, one of the most godly men in the church at that time, Paul was holding the coats going, kill him, kill him. We're doing God a favor. And if you know anything about Stephen, you know that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was filled with faith and wisdom. That's what the requirements for being deacon was. Do you remember what Stephen said whenever the rocks were piling on him and he was about to die? Last thing he said, most Christ-like thing he could have said, he said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. And religious people killed him because he was bringing glory and honor to Jesus Christ. He was, he was daring to teach in the name of Jesus. 
And so religious all the time, I don't know what is going on. This is a brand new deal. We'll have figured out. Maybe I'll just hold still. Religious people kill others. And if you don't believe it, think about the uh, Crusades. What did the Crusades do? They went in the name of God and killed people because they were unfaithful. And, and even today, terrorists, what do they say? They kill people and they say that Allah is pleased. I don't want to serve a God like that. And I don't. I serve one who is loving and kind and wants a relationship with us. And, and I want you to see that, that not only is religion a danger, I want you to see the root problem why religion is such a big deal to God. Jesus says it in verse 3. They, religious people, will do this because, this, is, this is, blows my mind. They, religious people, will do this because they what? Have not known the Father or they what? Have not known Jesus. Religion actually takes the place of relationship. Religion is I can do all of these things and God has to pay attention to me and God has to answer my prayers and God has to do this because I'm a good person. But if you read all of Scripture, you find out you and I aren't good people. Even when we try to be good people, we're not good people. And if you've committed one sin, you missed the bullseye one time, the Bible says that you're bound for hell. And we're not good people people. See, there's a, there's a huge difference in knowing about someone and knowing someone. Let's say that President Obama comes in on his big Air Force One to DFW airport, and I go chatting out there. You think I'm getting on that plane? Before I get there, we're about to have to go over here. Let's just do this. Brand spanking new. So if I run out there, I'm not getting on the plane. Why? I know lots of facts. I can tell you a lot of stuff about him, but I don't know him. If you know him, you're probably going to get on. You may get a ride. You may get to go stay in the Lincoln room. I don't know. But there's a huge difference in knowing about someone and knowing someone. Religious people know about God. Christ followers know him. You know, see the difference? Religion kills people. Religion sucks the life out of people. Religion will make you a judgmental old person. Religion will alienate you from people and it will make you a stranger to God. Okay, so if religion isn't the answer, then what do I need to do? Well, if you want to get close to anyone, there's three things you can do. And, and this is what's on your listening guide. This is what you need to do if you're going to get close to God or anybody else. Men, if you want to get close to your wives, it requires this. Ladies, if you want to get close to your husbands, it requires this. Teenagers, you don't even need to get close to anybody else. So don't even worry about this yet until you're like 30. Yes, thank you. Especially men with daughters, right? I'll get another amen out of that, won't I? Yeah, uh-huh. Here's the first thing. If you want to get close to somebody, you want to be intimate with them, unrushed and unstructured time. That means you can't be in a hurry and get close to someone. Because what do you do when you're in a hurry? You skim. Just give me the facts. I don't need all that backstory. Just give me the facts. That's what men do. It's why we get in trouble, dudes. Because we're always in a hurry. We're always skimming. We're like the bird that comes down for a quick drink and it's gone. Your woman wants you to sit down in the pond and paddle around for a little bit. Look at the birds and butterflies and hear about every ripple in the pool, right? Okay. Yes. Unstructured, unhurried time says, I'm hanging out with you simply because I like you and I like being with you. And that's what it communicates as well. 
Um, you can't have a relationship with anybody when there's no time. I used to, it used to amaze me when I would go on ski trips, I would take my youth group on ski trips. And when I was in Dallas and Austin, and, and even when I was here in Palestine, and you'd be on a bus for like 20 to 24 hours, depending on where we were going, we would hop on a bus and we would drive overnight and you couldn't help but get to know people when you're on a bus. I mean, cause you're sleeping in weird positions and you're, you know, you're hanging out in the aisle and some people are in the aisle and you got to go to the bathroom and you're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, you get to know people. And then the folks that were in my room, I became friends with by the end of the week because there was so much hangout time. That's just what happens when you spend unstructured, unhurried, unrushed time with someone, you get to know them and you communicate that they're important to you. Number two, complete honesty. If we're going to go to the deepest level of friendship, we can't lie to one another. We can't talk in formulas. We can't pray someone else's prayers. You got to be real. You got to be honest. If you're mad at God, tell him. If you're jealous, tell him. He already knows. Did you know there's never been a time in the history of human beings that God goes, really? I had no idea you felt that way. God already knows it, so why don't we tell him? When there's complete honesty, that means you get all of me, the good and the bad. And you have to decide whether you're going to accept me, the good and the bad. And I have to decide the same thing about you. And when you have two people who accept, who decide to accept one another, good and bad and everything in between, you get what 99% of the world population does not have, but they desperately want. Intimacy. Because I know you got my back. And you know I've got your back. Third, Submission. This has kind of become a a dirty word, a cuss word in our society. But mutual submission is the most powerful relational dynamic on the planet. Mutual submission says, I'm going to harness all of my talents and abilities for your best interest. You do the same for me. And you put two people together who have mutual submission and you have intimacy. Or you put a person with God and you have intimacy. When I know you're committed to my best and I know and you know I'm committed to your best, we go deep fast. And I'm just going to tell you, this is happening in our small group. I've heard Joe and, and, and John talk about it's happening in their small group. We gather every week and we go deep because, number one, we like each other. But, number two, we are completely open and honest and real with each other. And you go deep fast when that happens. So, the reason some of you are afraid of submitting to God is because you're religious. And according to Jesus Christ, you don't really know him. Brutally honest, the reason some of you are afraid of God is because you don't know him. And here's the crazy thing that we miss. God has already made the first move. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, before your first breath, before your first prayer, before your first sin... He died on the cross and he said, your sin, your mess, your dysfunction is more important to me than my comfort. And he said, here's the thing. I'm going to put my life on the line. I'm going to die for you knowing that you just might reject me. He said, but I'm going to do it anyway because you're worth it. See, he's made that move and the ball is in your court. Are you going to submit to him? One who would rather die for you than live without you? Or do you want to keep serving religion? Do you want to keep serving yourself or someone else's agenda? I want you just real quickly to think about on a scale of 1 to 10, where are you in your closeness with God? And before you put this down, I'm going to ask you to write this on the back of your, your registration card. I'm the only one that sees those. 
But before you put that down, I want you to think, where would your spouse rate your closeness with God? Because that'll, that'll bring you down a couple of notches. Ding, ding. Where would your coworkers rate your relationship with God? Maybe, ding, ding. You know, maybe you have to come down just a little bit. I want you to think about that. Because, because here's the deal. The reason I'm asking you to, to, to contemplate your relationship with God is because I want you to know what it takes to have a deep, meaningful relationship with God. It's a choice on your part that you'll accept what God has done, and then you choose to spend regular, unhurried, unstructured time with him. You choose to be completely honest. Maybe some of you need to pray some R-rated prayers and tell God what you're really thinking. You get honest with him, and then you choose to submit to harness all your talents and abilities for the kingdom of God. And when you choose to do those three things, watch out, because the world, I'm telling you, the world has yet to see what, what God can do through a person who is completely committed to him. Now, back in week one, I encourage you to ask God to give you one word that would guide you through your week. Week two, I ask you to pray for a thought. Week three, I ask you to pray for a, th- a statement. And then last week, we started talking about discipline. Well, I want to tell you about the rule of five. And uh, a few months ago, I heard John Maxwell talk about this. How many of you have ever heard John Maxwell? You read any of his books? John Maxwell has written 73 books, and he's about 65 years old. And uh, he said he did that through the rule of five. Now, I don't know if I can do this one-handed, but um, here's, here's what the rule of five says. Rule of five says that you have a tree in your backyard. Now, don't even worry about whether you have a tree in your backyard. I'll explain that in a minute. But there's a tree in your backyard, and you need an axe. Some of you are thinking, I need a chainsaw. Don't go that route, because I'm going to tell you what this is about. All right. The rule of five says you have a tree in your backyard, and if you take this axe and you swing it at that tree five times, and only five times, then you put the axe down. The next day, you go back out there, you take your axe, you swing it. By the way, you have to hit the tree because it doesn't count if you're just swinging in the air, all right? I don't know if you know that, but it doesn't count if you're just swinging it in the air. You swing it the next day five times, you put the axe down. The next day, you go out there, you pick up your axe, you swing it five times, you hit the tree. Not 15 times, not 500 times, five times, you put it down. If you do that every day, what's going to happen to the tree? Eventually, the tree falls down. Now, is there anybody who thinks the tree won't fall? Do we need to get a committee and discuss what happens when you hit a tree with an axe five times every day? Do we need to discuss that? Do we need to hold hands and meditate on what the tree feels like when it's being hit by an axe five times a day? Do we need to do that? No, the tree's going to fall, right? Size of the tree doesn't matter. The size of the tree will actually determine how long it takes. If it's a big tree, it may take a couple of years. If it's a small tree, it may take a few days. But that's not even the issue, the size of the tree. The issue is you pick up your axe and you strike the tree five times every day, the tree's going to fall. Now, here's the rule of five, and this is how it applies to you. What do I need to do every day to get what I want most? To get where I want to go? You have a tree or some trees. The idea is you've got to figure out which are the most five, which that you need to do over and over and over again. Last week, some of you wrote down what you want most. I ask you to write down what you want most. Then I ask you to pray and ask God to show you what one discipline you needed to start then so that you could get what you want most and help you achieve that. So you write those things down. But here's what I want to help you do. I want to help you find your axe and help you find your tree and knock it down. If you use your axe five times a day, you'll be highly successful. 
Uh, Maxwell has become a leadership expert because for, since 1975, he's been doing his rule of five every day. And, and somebody asked him, what do you mean every day? And he says, what do you think I mean by every day? On my birthday? Yes. On vacation? Yes. Every day I do these five things. His five things, uh, let's see, I had that written down. His, here's what John does. He reads every day. He files every day. He thinks every day. He asks questions every day. And he writes every day. Now, he said, I don't, don't necessarily do it for hours. I'm not out there trying to you know, change the world in one day. He said, I do this every day. Every day. He's written 73 books. That's more than two books a year since he started writing. And I'm, that just blows my mind. But it's because every day he reads files, thinks, asks questions, and writes. And he's, he's become this expert. And his company is now training like one million leaders a month around the world. He said within five years, his company will be in every major country in the world. And within five years, they will be training 20 million leaders per month. How does that happen? He said, every day we do five things. And his company does five things. It's a rule of five. So let me tell you why so many people have a stagnant um, or a non-existent relationship with God. And here's why. Most people overestimate what they can do in a day. And they underestimate what we can do in several days. See, a lot of people think that my relationship with God, I don't have to read the Bible. I don't have to pray every day. I can get caught up on Sundays. So one hour a week, they come and they spend time in God's presence. And maybe they get a little pumped up and they leave going, whoo. And then the next 167 hours, they never think about God. Now, if you do that with your spouse, do you get close to your spouse? If you spend one hour a week with them, 167 hours, you don't do anything with them or talk to them or acknowledge them. Are you going to get close? No, you're not. We have to pay attention to little things because doing little every day is way more important than doing a bunch on one day. A bunch someday. Most people live in someday I'm going to get close to God. Someday I'm going to get serious about this. Here are my five that I'm going to try every day. And I'm going to experiment with this because I've just started it. But my five is I read the Bible every day. I pray every day. I have a list that I put on on my iPad here. It's in my notes. And every week I change my notes and I write down who I'm praying for. So right now, as of last week, this is is who's on my list. John Brown is on my list. I pray for him every day. Um, Bradley Grutzner is on my list. I pray for him every day. Um, Caleb Washburn is on my list. I pray for him every day. The leadership of this church, I pray for every day. The Haiti team, I pray for every day. The newcomers, those, those of you who aren't even church members yet that we want to get to know next week, I pray for you every day. And then this morning as I was reading my Bible, God just laid this verse on me, so I wrote this verse on there. Joshua 1.8, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. I said, God, I, I want to be prosperous and successful in your kingdom. So I guess I better pay attention to the five things that I'm going to do every day. And it doesn't mean I'm going to spend hours and hours and hours, but every day I want to read my Bible, pray, uh, read other things, leadership things. I'm in a leadership book now. I want to file and I want to lead other people every day. Now, if I do that for a year, do you think I'll be in a better spot next year than I am today? Do you think the church will be in a better spot if I'm leading every day? Sure. What if I do it for five years? What if I do it for 10 years? Does the church look like it's better? If you do something every day, eventually you're going to be highly successful. Uh, John Maxwell said it took him seven years to figure out his top five. 
But once he figured it out, he's locked in on it. And I'm wanting you to go on this journey with me. So here's, here's first, before I, you even talk about the, the rule of five, how many of you will pray for one discipline that you need to start today that will help you get closer to God over this year? How many of you would do that? Wow, that's a lot of you. That's cool. Now, I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hands yet, uh, and I won't do that today, but if you decide to do the rule of five and you begin praying for those five things that you need to do every day, I'd like for you to share that with me. Um, just because I, so I can be praying for you, but it also so we can encourage one another. And I fully expect some of you to ask me, are you doing your five? When's the last time you did your five? If I get to, if I get here and I haven't done my five, then you have permission to smack me in the name of Jesus. Today we're going to uh, take the Lord's Supper, but before we do that, I just want to, I want to explain the baskets because the way we do the Lord's Supper is a little bit different here. So at the end of church, we ask you to fill out your registration cards and we ask you to write something on there. And, and I, today I want you to think about your life and what is it you need to do. I want you to write down your discipline or maybe an area you're not disciplined in that you want me to pray that you'll become disciplined in. But I write that on the back of your card. If you have prayer concerns, you write that on there. If you have praises, answers to prayer, then you put that on there as well. Because back there we have a registration basket. I'm doing them out of order. I caught you off guard, didn't I? Uh, and so put those in there. I go through those every Sunday afternoon, and then I pray through those throughout the week. And, and I'll add some of you onto my list as you write prayer concerns on there. Uh, second basket is the joy basket. That's how we take up our offering, or you can give online. Uh, NLCCP.com is a very simple process, and you can do that. More and more people are giving online. We have a third basket. It's the bagel basket. That stands for building a great life. Here's the crazy thing about what's happened in our little church. Uh, we, we took out a loan and I don't even remember how long we took out the loan. I think it was a 15 year loan. We paid off the loan for this building and all of our land paid off the loan in about four years. Uh, God did that. And then we have paid uh, cash for everything that's up in our, our new room up there. We're about to finish up. We got to buy some TVs, hang those on the wall. And then, uh, we'll be finished up there a couple of speakers, but we've been able to pay cash for that. So everything that goes in the bagel basket goes towards, um, paying for that or, towards future expansion. So uh, that's what that basket is for those of you who are questioning that. So now we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And here's what I always feel like I have to do before we take the Lord's Supper. I have to explain what it is. Um, On the night before Jesus was crucified, he stood up in the middle of the Passover meal and he said to his followers, he said, this is my body broken for you. He broke the bread. It's a very simple act. And he said, every time you eat this, Remember me. So when we take the Lord's Supper, we're supposed to remember who Jesus was, that he died on the cross for our sins, but that he did not stay in the grave. He was raised from the dead. Because then he takes the cup and he said, this cup is my blood. Not, not, not literally his blood, it's symbolic, but he said that it's spilled for you. And when you take the cup and you take the bread, what you're saying to Jesus, what you're saying to God is, I accept your life. And I give you my life in return. It's a very big deal. So when you come to the table, if you're a Christian, you're, you're welcome to come to the table. If you're a non-Christian, um, then this really isn't for you. And we don't try to exclude you. Just let me tell you why. Because when you take this, Jesus said, as often as you take it, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back again. So three things you're supposed to do before you take the Lord's Supper. You're supposed to remember what Jesus did, the price it cost him to buy your life. Second thing is you're supposed to um, remember if you have any problems with anybody 
any, any relational issues. So you look back at the cross, but you look around, and if you have problems with somebody and you know somebody has something against you, you're supposed to go make that right before you come to the Lord's table. Every time I say that, somebody doesn't take the Lord's Supper and they come up and they go, well, I've tried over and over and over to reconcile and they won't reconcile. If you've done that in good conscience, then you come take the Lord's Supper. Don't be afraid. The third thing is we're supposed to look ahead to when Jesus comes back. And, and if you can examine your heart, you're supposed to confess in, you're supposed to reconcile, and then we're just supposed to come to the Lord's table in utter reverence because it was his death that made it possible for us to live. So we're going to start some music, and um, we're just going to give you an opportunity. Some of you just need to sit there and, and pray. You need to confess. Some of you probably need to get up and slip out quietly and, and go make some relationships right. But if you've prayed and confessed and you're ready, then you come to the table. Dwayne's over here. I'm over here. If you have questions or if you want to pray with one of us, feel free to come. But here's what we do. This is how we end the service, um, is is we want this to be a holy time. So when you're finished taking the Lord's Supper, if you would just please leave quietly and we'll keep that door closed. Because sometimes people stay in here for several minutes praying and it is, it is one of the most holy things that we do as a church. And so when you're finished, feel free to leave. Uh, baskets, I already told you about the baskets. And then uh, those of you who, uh, who want to talk about baptism, you can just hang out up here and we'll talk in just a little bit. All right, let's pray together and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Father, it's my prayer that, that we would become serious enough in our relationship with you that we would turn our backs on the things of the world and that, God, we would do whatever it takes to become close and intimate with you. If we do that, we'll become better fathers, mothers, husbands, wives. We'll become better people because we're sold out to following you. God, bless us and show us what we need to confess before we come to your table. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.